Why don't you open up to Exodus? You're going to have to have nimble fingers this morning. We're going to go to a, a good handful of different passages, but, but Exodus chapter 3 is where we will be first this morning. Yeah, just add one more to, to what Mike said about our men's muster. Um, already this morning, I had one guy say, hey, man, I'm so, so bummed I missed last night. And my wife and I went to the Garth Brooks concert last night, so I'm like, oh, man, I didn't know you were supposed to be there, you know? And he thought, no, he thought men's muster was last night. And then I had another guy came in, and he said, oh, man, hey, I'll see you tonight. I said, uh-oh, where am I supposed to be tonight? He goes, the muster. I'm like, no, that's this Saturday. So one buddy, he, he didn't miss it, and the other buddy, it's not tonight. Don't show up tonight. It's this Saturday, 5.30 to 8 o'clock. Another thing I'm excited about, I invited three of my unchurched neighbors, and one of, one of them has signed up to be there, which I'm excited about, and do hope that he comes. I was at Dallas Seminary from 1995 to 2000, and during those five years, you have to go to chapel. And so almost every day that I was on campus, I also went to chapel and so heard, I don't know how many chapel messages, a whole bunch of them. And if I, if I thought hard about it, I could probably remember a handful of them. Kind of discourages me as a preacher to think, I wonder how many sermons these folks actually remember that I ever preach, you know? Sometimes I, what did I preach last week? And I was the one preaching it. But of all the sermons, all the chapel messages I heard, there's one of them I don't have to work hard to remember. I've remembered it now for over 20 years. And it really has become, if you were to ask me, Mitch, what's your favorite verse? It's this verse. It's actually a phrase from a verse, and it's because of that chapel message. I'm not going to share it with you just yet. It will become apparent soon enough. As we said last week, as Mike introduced, we, we, we do Redeemer 101, where we, we hope new folks, newer folks, will come to Redeemer, to Redeemer 101, and they will learn about our church, what we believe this, that, and the other about Redeemer, have a chance to ask questions, that kind of thing, with a view towards hopefully them becoming members of our church, getting plugged into a community group and into the life of our church. And then we hope to offer a class called 102, where those who are called Redeemer home, where they would come and learn about service opportunities, learn about their spiritual gifts and how God has shaped them, and they would be encouraged if they weren't already to jump into service opportunities here at Redeemer. And then 103, where we would come and learn about how to live on mission with Jesus. And so we're taking these few weeks to do 102 and 103 with the big group here from the pulpit. Last week was 102, this week as well, a follow-up message on 102. Then we'll do two weeks of 103, and then we will jump into the book of Revelation. Woo-wee! Looking forward to that. So last week, we said that God wants us to know and use our spiritual gifts for the good 
of others. We looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. Know your gift and use it for the good of others. And so many of you do, and I say again, thank you. Encouraged you to go to RedeemerCommunity.life and click on the Redeemer 102 to do a spiritual gifts inventory. If you say, you know what, I'd love to know my spiritual gift, but where do I start? We have on there a spiritual gifts inventory. It's not perfect, but you can take it and it'll get you going on maybe understanding how God has gifted you. As well as a shape assessment where you not only look at your spiritual gifts, but also your heart for ministry, the abilities that God has given to you, your personality, and even experiences that you've had. And a good handful of you all went online and did that for us, and we appreciate it. We all want to be passionate about serving in the body of Christ to encourage one another, to equip one another, to help one another joyfully follow Jesus. But the reality is, if you're anything like me and anything like the individuals we're going to look at this morning, sometimes fear and feelings of inadequacy can creep up in your heart and mind and dampen any zeal that we have to really serve the body of Christ and even the world. Fear creeps in. I know it does for me. And, and really, they're, they're summarized in, in the what-ifs. What if, I, what if I step out there to serve, to use my gifts for the good of others, whether it's inside the walls here of Redeemer Community Church or even as I reach out to neighbors and friends, what if I get rejected? What if I fail? I mean, I have in my head what I would love for to happen, and, and what if that doesn't happen? What if I jump into following Jesus and helping others do the same and I embarrass myself? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? What if, what if in my efforts on a Sunday morning just to be welcoming and loving, what if I just come across the wrong way and hurt somebody's feelings? What if I pour myself into it and it seemingly is fruitless? What if my dreams don't become a reality? What if my expectations aren't met? What if I pour my life into a person or some and it doesn't seem to go anywhere? What if I get hurt? What if, what if, what, what if this happened? What if that happened? What, what, what if, what if, what if? Fear. Or those feelings of inadequacy. Well, I'm not, I'm not smart enough. 
I'm not strong enough. I'm not outgoing enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I don't have what it takes when it comes to the abilities, the stuff that it seemingly takes to be a blessing to other folks. I can't do it. I, I don't have stuff. I'm not enough. Or I haven't. I'm not maybe speaks to our abilities. I haven't maybe speaks to our experiences. Yeah, I'd love to serve the body of Christ. I'd love to be a blessing to my neighbors. I'd love to be a light of the gospel in my neighborhood or in my workplace. I'd love to jump into ministry here at Redeemer and begin to use my spiritual gifts for the good of others. But you know what? I haven't been to seminary. I haven't been walking with Jesus for 20 years. I haven't really ever served in that particular way before. I don't have the experience that it takes. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the experience. Therefore, I can't. And therefore, I won't. It's just feelings of inadequacy. So there's the fears. What if this would happen to me? And there's the inadequacy. I don't, I am not what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I haven't experienced the things that it takes in order to serve Jesus and his people. And those feelings of fear, those feelings of inadequacy can so push down upon you and upon me that it just dampens any zeal or passion we might have to follow Jesus, and if we don't watch out, paralysis can set in, right? The flame that's burning grows dim, and we just sit there. We become cautious, focusing on what we could lose rather than what is to gain. We play it safe, or like the sluggard in the Proverbs. The sluggard says, There's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the open square. I've quoted that proverb before. What does that mean? That's the person who says, you know what? I'd love to go out and do that. But you know, if I go out into the street, there's lions out there that will eat me. What's the reality? There's no lions out there that will eat me. But we get the what if, what if, what if, and it just kills us. So, I want to say this with a big smile on my face. You and I need encouragement that will help us overcome our fears and our inadequacies, and God has given us a great truth to help us. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to see it first here. If you know this story, Israel has been in captivity or in slavery in Egypt for some 400 years. Moses is born the first 40 years of his life. He's in Egypt. The next 40 years of his life, he's in the wilderness. And then God calls him. 
Moses, I want you to serve me and I want you to serve my people and I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. God is calling him to do something wonderful and great to deliver his people. We see it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. There's the call. But look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. You can just hear the insecurity. You want me to do what? Who am I? And here's the first glimmer of hope. Verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, certainly I will be with you. There's the phrase. I'll be with you. Moses, I want you to deliver my people. Who am I? I don't have what it takes. I'll be with you. Verse 13. Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. I'll say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses is seemingly afraid to go to the people because they might say to me, What if? What? God. What if I go to them and what if they challenge me? What if? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. There's There's the fear of rejection, right? What if I go to your people and what if they say, no? Verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past, nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. There's the inadequacy, right? You can just see his fears all over the place, inadequacy all over the place. What if this happens to me? Who am I? Lord, I've never had the stuff for what you're asking me to do. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. I'll be with you. I know you're afraid of what might happen. I know you don't think you have what it takes, but I've called you and I'm going to be with you. Look over at Joshua chapter 1. So we're in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So keep going to your right. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. By this time, Moses is dead. 
And Joshua is now the new leader for the people. And under Moses' leadership, they had made their way out of Egypt through the wilderness, right up to the Jordan River, about to enter into the promised land. And Moses died, and now Joshua is the new leader. Verse 1, chapter 1, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. So God is calling Joshua to serve, to jump in and serve the people of God, to lead them into the promised land. And there's a little phrase that's used twice here with Joshua, actually three times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And yet you have to wonder, maybe... Joshua needs to hear that three times over because in himself he's not very strong and in himself he's not very courageous. Maybe he's, he's really fearful about, oh my goodness, Lord, what are you calling me to? I'm so afraid. Be courageous. I don't have what it takes. Be strong. He needed strength because of his inadequacies. He needed courage because of his fear. Verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua, you may be afraid and need courage. You may be weak or inadequate and need strength. I will be with you. Go to your right one more book to Judges. Chapter 6. If you know the book of Judges, Israel has entered into the land under Joshua's leadership. And yet Joshua died and that generation of leaders died and Israel began to turn away from the Lord into sin and rebellion against him. And as a result of their sin against the Lord, just as he had promised back in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, foreign nations would come in and make life very, very difficult for the Israelites. And eventually they would cry out to God and God would hear their prayer and bring a judge, which not a judge like we would think, a political military leader who would bring deliverance to the people. So in chapter 6, we've got a handful of things to read here, but let's jump in. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There it is. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So the Midianites came in and Israel is so scared they're hiding in the mountains. For it was when Israel had sown 
that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them, destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep or oxen or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable. And they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Now, it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt, brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors. I dispossessed them before you, gave you their land, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. Most all the commentators will note, you did not beat out wheat down in the winepress. You would go outside the highest place you could find where the wind was blowing so you could throw up the wheat, the shaft would blow away and the wheat would fall. And you would, but, but he's beating out the wheat in the wine press. And we'll see why in a second. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Which is probably a joke, if you will. Not so much a joke, but I'm not sure of the word. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? So here's God calling Gideon to be the one who will lead the victory over the Midianites. Verse 15, Gideon said to the Lord, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my father's house. Who am I? I don't have what it takes. I'm not the man you're looking for. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat Midian as one man. I will be with you. His fears, he's, he's threshing the wheat in the wine press. His inadequacy, oh Lord. How shall I deliver Israel? My family's least in Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my father's house. Is met with the promise of the presence of God. I will be with you. Now jump way over to Jeremiah. So keep turning till you come to the book of Psalms and keep on going. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah.
In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb, or I'm sorry, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. There's God's call upon Jeremiah. Verse 6, then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Who am I? I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. I'm not old enough. I'm not smart enough. I haven't been around enough. I don't have enough experience. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. There's fear. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah's feelings of inadequacy and fear are met with God's promise to be with his servant. One more from the Old Testament. Go over to Haggai. So if you make it to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, you've gone too far. Go back to your left, just a couple books, a few books, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. The last three, we want to look at Haggai. Israel had by this time been divided into the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. By this time, the northern kingdom, because of their rebellion, had been taken away by the Assyrians into exile. The southern kingdom had been taken away by the Babylonians into exile. But, according to his promise, God had brought the southern kingdom back into the land to rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem. In the background of Haggai is the book of Ezra, where in Ezra chapter 1, God stirred up the heart of King Cyrus of Persia to allow them to go back home. And in chapter 2 of Ezra, some 50,000 of them went home, back to the land, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And in chapter 3, they began to rebuild the temple. And they laid the foundation of the temple and they rejoiced over this. But in Ezra chapter 4, opposition hit and they quit working on the temple. For 16 long years they quit. That's a long time. And then in Ezra chapter 5, God raises up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah to come to the people and encourage them to get back to work on the temple. 
Haggai chapter 1, we, we see a record of Haggai's ministry. In the year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, and you know you're always in trouble when God is referring to his people, and he does not say my people, he says this people. This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Well, you know, we just got other things to do right now than work on God's temple. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Oops. God says, apparently you've had all kinds of time to work on your paneled houses, luxurious houses, while my house, the temple, lies desolate. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Has it worked out for you to, to take my priorities and put them on the back seat and pursue your own priorities? Has it worked out? You've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Apparently, God is saying, and they really had to agree, it's not working out for you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. So God graciously calls them to repentance, to get back to work on the temple. And he reminds them again, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the skies withheld its dew, the earth withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on the ground, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, on all the labor of your hands. When Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had spoken to them, as God had sent him. So Haggai comes with the message of God, repent, get back to work, and, and they obeyed. And the people showed reverence to the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people saying, I am with you. The, the moment... They, they turn to the Lord in repentance and a desire to obey, I'm with you. All of that is background to my favorite verse in the Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 28. So over into the New Testament now. Say, oh, that was all Old Testament stuff. What about us? Matthew 28. Jesus has died for sinners. He has been raised from the dead. And this is before he will ascend into heaven. This is, in Matthew's account, the final words of Jesus to his disciples. We call it the Great Commission. 
Verse 18, chapter 28, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But Lord, what if, what if, what if, what if, Lord, I, I don't have what it takes. I, I can't. I don't have the experience. I, 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 I. Right? Just as God had called Moses and he's like, I'm afraid and I don't have what it takes. Just like he called Joshua and said, you need to be strong and courageous because he was fearful and, and didn't have any strength in and of himself. So he thought, just like Gideon is so afraid, he's working with the wheat in the wine press and God calls him and he says, who am I? And just like God calls Jeremiah and he's like, Lord, I'm but a youth and I'm afraid. And even like the remnant that returned to these disciples whom he is now sending out with a vision for now two millennia. I have accomplished my work. I am ascending into heaven, and here's what I want you to do. I've forgiven you of your sins. I've adopted you into my family. I've sealed you as mine forevermore. And I have put my spirit within you, and I have gifted you, and I am calling you to serve my people and the world until the coming age. And lo, don't miss this. Lo, behold. Hey guys, don't forget this. I will be with you until the end of the age. So your feelings of inadequacy, I get it but I'll be with you. You're afraid? I know. I'll be with you. The gentleman who preached this at Dallas Seminary Chapel, the point he made to us was when Jesus stood on that mountain and gave them that commission and said to them, I will be with you. He said, those words just didn't come out of nowhere. They had a rich Old Testament history of God calling his people to do things that made them feel very afraid and very inadequate, but he would always meet them with the promise of his presence. And so when Jesus says the same, it's coming out of that rich history. You may feel afraid. You may feel inadequate. But I'm calling you and I'll be with you. I will be with you. Mitch, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? Well, it's actually not a verse, it's a phrase. And it comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where Jesus promises to his people that he'll be with us every step of the way. So sometimes when I get afraid, 
when I get afraid, and just when I get afraid, even on Sunday morning, to go out into the foyer because I'm kind of a shy kind of guy. And I'd rather sit back there in my office all morning long and just kind of show up and preach. And huh. when I'm afraid and I'm thinking, well, what if and what if? And he said he'd be with me and he'd help me. And you know what? He's never, ever let me down. Ever. Sometimes I get afraid to come up here. Sometimes, you know, you just, you're not feeling it. What did I promise you, Mitch? That in this great commission, where I've called you and I've gifted you and I've pushed you out there and leave you alone, promised you that I'd be with you every step of the way. And I sense that he has been every step of the way. So brothers and sisters, last week was, hey, God wants to use you and me. He wants us to know our gifts and use them for the good of others. And on, on the broad whole, Jesus Christ has called us to live our lives for something great. And to do so, it produces in us fear and feelings of inadequacy. But Jesus said, I'll be with you until the very end of the age. So let's, if God wills, let's remember that promise. In a phrase, it kind of says to you and me, no excuses, huh? No excuses, Mitch. I said I'd be with you. I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll be with you. You're not on your own. You're not by yourself. I'm with you. They asked Charles Haddon Spurgeon one time, and I mean, he was, his productivity was off the charts. And they asked him, how do you do it? And he said, well, maybe you forget. There are two of us. Some think he might have been talking about his wife, and he, and he very well may could have. Others believe he meant Jesus promised he'd be right here with me the whole way. You forget, there are two of us. Paul, at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, reflecting on hardship in the midst of ministry, he said, the Lord stood with me, even though all else, everybody else seemingly had deserted him. The Lord stood with me. He was right there by my side. Let's pray. Father, would you help us never forget this promise that we are not alone. And we are not left to ourselves. That when you call us up and when you call us out to give our lives in obedience to you, in service to our church family and even to the world, 
You promise to be right there with us every step of the way. What a blessing, what a help, what a reassurance, what an encouragement. Thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.